It was about five years ago that I had the great pleasure of speaking uh, most recently with best-selling author Dan Hampton. That book called The Flight, Charles Lindbergh's daring and immortal 1927 transatlantic crossing, an interview which we will be replaying uh, on May 21st, the anniversary, the 95th anniversary of Lindbergh's historic landing in Paris. I am very pleased to be reconnecting with Dan Hampton to talk about another story of courage and valor, one which stems from World War II, the uh, story of an incredibly brave and resourceful and decent man by the name of of William Frederick Bill Harris, uh, who was a lieutenant in the Marine Corps, captured by the Japanese during the Battle of Corregidor, and uh, who managed to escape, only to be ultimately recaptured. But uh, at every turn, he met his uh, terrible situation with with grace and courage and humanity. And his story is told in a marvelous new book by Dan Hampton called Valor, the astonishing World War II saga of one man's defiance and indomitable spirit. The book is published by St. Martin's Press. Dan Hampton, we welcome you back to The Morning Show. That's always a pleasure, Greg. I love your show. Thank you so much. I'm glad we can have this conversation. How did you first come across the story of Lieutenant William Frederick Bill Harris? I was writing the book that came out before this called Vengeance, uh, which took place on Guadalcanal about uh, killing Admiral Yamamoto. And I ran across a general named Field Harris. He was a Marine pilot. And it turned out he had a son who was also a Marine officer. And that always kind of intrigues me, you know, uh, brothers that are fighting together or fathers and sons. There were more than most people think. And I made a note of it, and, and then when Vengeance was over and we started fishing around for another book to write, I remembered that and started to dig a little deeper, and Bill's story was so compelling uh, that, that I was able to write about it, and I'm very honored to have done so. You make brief mention at some point of some kind of unpublished memoir which uh, Mr. Harris uh, left behind that I suspect was of some value to you. Tell us more about that unpublished memoir, how uh, you came to have access to it, and and indeed what kind of a help it was to you in telling uh, the story of, of Mr. Harris so vividly. Oh, it was, yeah, it was more than a help, uh, Greg. It was, it, it made the book because uh, all the dialogue, all the thoughts and expressions, you know, attributed to Bill in my book came out of his manuscript. It was a 1,500-page manuscript that he had written after the war, no doubt for therapy, you know, he had to get it off of his chest. And his daughter had had it all these, all these decades. And when I decided to write the book and, and you know, was contracted to do it and got a hold of, uh, of his daughter, she provided it to me, along with all the pictures and all the letters and everything else that make this book come alive. So it was absolutely uh, fundamental to, to this book being what it is, that memoir. Mm. Your book opens in early December, and uh, of course we hear all about the attack on Pearl Harbor, but also the Japanese attack on the Philippines. One of the figures who uh, does not come off very well uh, in your book, Valor, is uh, General Douglas MacArthur, who at one point, we're told, had the nickname, uh, as far as some people were concerned, of Douglas Dugout Doug MacArthur. And uh, 
and indeed in your book, uh, some some attention is to dr- drawn to some of the decisions that he made in early December 1941 that uh, perhaps, uh, at least in retrospect, were not the right decisions to make in terms of safeguarding very brave uh, American men uh, in, in the Pacific theater. Uh, first of all, I wonder if that is sort of your own assessment of General MacArthur or, is, or if that is more a reflection of the attitude of uh, Lieutenant William Frederick Bill Harris. Oh, well, I think it's both. Um, you know, MacArthur was very self-promoting, uh, he was he, he loved himself more than anything else, and and that isn't my opinion. If you read uh, contemporary uh, histories from people that were there, that had any contact with him, uh, most of them are not very flattering. Uh, he has good press, is what he has, but the the truth of the matter is, um, most of the men uh, did not think too highly of him, especially after he he deserted them, basically, and ran off to Australia. He always said it was because the president ordered him to, but this is a man who didn't take orders from anybody unless he unless it was to his advantage. I mean, that's one of the reasons Truman fired him during the Korean War. And and it is inconceivable to me as a former military officer to to leave your men in the lurch and run off to safety like MacArthur did. Those sentiments expressed in the book I think most modern historians would agree with them, and and uh, the the personal sentiments came right from Bill's uh, letters, his manuscript, and also his father, who was a general himself and and did not think very highly of MacArthur and and what he did and didn't do in the Philippines. And of course, what we haven't even really touched on is the fact that MacArthur could have done so much more. Uh, in the immediate wake of the attack on Pearl Harbor, and uh, for some reason was very, very slow to act. And, of course, that uh, that led to untold loss of life and loss of resources, which could have really made a difference uh, uh, for the Americans who were in the Philippines at that time. And ultimately, you describe in, in very powerful, poignant detail uh, the ultimate uh, surrender of... Uh, of, uh, of of Americans in in the Philippines under General Wainwright, and uh, and of course this is what sets in motion the first chapter of the ordeal of Lieutenant William Frederick Bill Harris. Uh, explain why the plight of Japanese POWs was especially dire. That is what the Japanese uh, attitude was towards uh, their prisoners, at least in general. Right. Well, the Imperial Japan, and again, when I talk about this, I'm talking about Imperial Japan, not modern Japan. But Imperial Japan, you know, still had a very long martial, you know, 2,000-year-old martial history. Uh, the warrior was everything. And, and they did not surrender and could not conceive of surrender, really, the way that we, we would and regarded it as the, you know, uh, the ultimate loss of honor for someone to, to give up a fight. It's, it's a cultural difference more than anything. Um, and it turns out their way cost them dearly because rather than surrender, so many men who might have lived to fight another day, you know, died. Uh, in, 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 in the case of these poor guys, you know, if you got captured by the Japanese, it was as good as a, almost as good as a death sentence in most cases, because they regarded you as less than human, because you had no honor, because you surrendered. You see the catch-22 here. 
Um, a lot of these guys didn't have a choice. You know, they were wounded or they were unconscious or their or their superior officers. In the case of Bill Harris, surrendered, and they, you know, at the time they had to they had to obey the off, you know, the the orders of those above them. Bill wasn't going to stand for that, which is why he ultimately said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna escape or I'm gonna die trying." Hmm. He uh, he, you say have him saying at one point he had been ordered to surrender, he had not capitulated and apparently that was a distinction that was very important to him and again at another point uh, you have him saying he had been ordered to surrender no one could order him not to escape uh, what's really intriguing about this part of of Harris's story is the the choice to attempt an escape and uh, the choice of some of his fellow prisoners uh, whether or not to join him in that attempt explain to our listeners what his escape uh, represented, I mean, how he managed to escape the Japanese. Right, and and I have to point out, uh, a lot of these men fully intended to escape, but they didn't want to do it from Corregidor. They rightly guessed that the Japanese would move them over to the mainland, and they thought, once we get to the mainland, we can get away, because it's a much bigger place. There's Filipinos there that'll help us. You know, a lot of these guys couldn't swim, so how are they going to get off an island, right? So they were going to wait. In Bill's case, after he took that horrible beating and almost died, he, he knew that it, his, the situation was never going to get better, right? You're only going to get weaker over time, maybe get sick, maybe get hurt. He had to go while he still could. And the only way off Corregidor was to swim Manila Bay at night with all the Japanese patrol boats and the sharks, and that's what he did. And, of course... As we learn in this leg of his uh, arduous journey, uh, at every turn, there are choices to make. <laughs> I mean, and sometimes the choice is as sort of simple as uh, which end of this fork in the road to take, or do we keep swimming, or do we hide, or uh, do we seek shelter someplace, and where do we find food, and where do we find water? And how do we stay one step ahead of, of the Japanese uh, with so little information, essentially no information uh, at all? And are there Filipinos to whom we can turn uh, for help and, and safety? Uh, I suspect that as you investigated more about this part of his story, you learned as much as the rest of us did about what such a gauntlet would mean for somebody attempting escape. I, I did, and it was really sobering, you know, to read this in his own words. Because again, he every everything in the book, the, all the first person accounts, the dialogue, the what happened to him, all came out of of his manuscript. Um, so I, I did. I, I learned a I learned a great deal. The Philippines had never really interested me much uh, before because I didn't know that much about it, and that's that's kind of sad because it was a very heroic struggle. Um, and, and you could argue from a, an historian's point of view that it actually ended up costing the Japanese the war in the end because the struggle on Bataan and Corregidor cost them time. Uh, the, the Japanese had allowed themselves two weeks to capture the Philippines, and the soldiers and Marines that fought there, at least on Bataan and Corregidor, cost them almost five months. All right, and that is a, a, a heinous loss of momentum. You see that in the Ukraine right now. The Russians have lost all their their momentum. That's very important in a war, and and so these guys, this, the struggle in the Philippines certainly wasn't for 
for nothing, you know, and they, they didn't just give up. I mean, they a lot of them fought to the death. In Bill's case, he was aided a little bit in the fact that he had spent part of his childhood in the Philippines, and he'd been there since November of 1941, so he knew Bataan very well. And so when they got over to Bataan and their escape, they had a really good idea of where to go. Now, after that, nothing was clear, and, and their remaining epic odyssey, you know, for the next 1,200 days or so, is what this book is about. Mm. And uh, ultimately, one of the most amazing things about uh, Bill Harris is that he did not escape just to escape the horror of being a, a prisoner of the Japanese, but he escaped in order to return to the fight. I mean, that was one of the things that was most important to him. And then ultimately, terribly, he is recaptured. Briefly explain the circumstances under which he was recaptured and at what point in his long odyssey that occurred. Well, he tried to go to China first, uh, across the South China Sea, and the time of year was wrong and they had other, they had other problems. So then they decided, all right, we're, we're going to go to Australia. And uh, other, there, there are actually other people that escaped from the Philippines and had made it to Australia. And, and so he knew it was possible. And, you know, being a Marine and a Naval Academy graduate, he knew how to navigate, he knew how to sail a boat. So that's, that's where they were heading uh, when they, they put in um, on, a, on a small island in the Moluccas, which is part of the Spice Islands. And they were betrayed by natives that, were, that, that thought the Japanese would be preferable to the British or the Americans. So he, again, he didn't surrender again. He, he, was, he was captured, and really after one hell of a fight, uh, you can read about that uh, in the book. So he never, never willingly capitulated. And even when he was sent to Japan, you know, as a POW, he never gave up. Right. Ever. And even behind, uh, in a sense, prison bars, he was doing all he could to uh, work against the cause of the Japanese, which is a really uh, amazing uh, part of the story. One of the things that you don't shy away from are certain darker elements of the story. For instance, some of the other Americans with whom he is on this odyssey uh, are racists. And, uh, and Harris comes to the defense of, for instance, uh, uh, an African-American who is uh, in their company. And uh, I appreciate the fact that uh, you do not whitewash some of those uncomfortable aspects of this story. Uh, and, of course, in including that, you make uh, Harris, of course, to be a, an even more admirable and heroic figure to the reader. Yeah, and that's something I think that's important. And I guess we would call it racism now, and it it was, but it was also a different time and a different place. I'm not justifying any of it, but it it really annoys me sometimes when people, you know, in contemporary times today try to judge the past by our standards. Now, some of it's wrong is wrong and right is right. Again, I'm not justifying any of that, but the sentiments that some of those guys expressed that was just completely normal to them, and that's what I wanted to get across because it was so extraordinary that Bill Harris, from that time and place, did not condone any of that and wouldn't tolerate it. And there were lots of people like him that did not, right? He wasn't an isolated incident, but you're right. He was a very admirable, you know, even-keeled, uh, just man, and he wasn't going to tolerate that uh, that other American picking on the Filipino there, you know, on 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 the boat. Absolutely, and you know it goes. To, yeah, 
So I, I think it was worth putting in there the way it was. Absolutely. And I appreciate, too, the time you take to describe the feelings back home on the so-called home front, uh, including uh, the widespread fears that erupted uh, towards Japanese Americans. And we've heard something about that. But I appreciate uh, the way in which you tell that so well. A last quick question. One distinction that is also important to Lieutenant William Frederick Bill Harris is that he was a Marine. And you tell us, among other things, uh, something that I'm not sure I ever knew. That is that Marines were not drafted. They were all volunteer. Explain that important distinction. At that point in the war, that was true. It changed towards the end, which dismayed a lot of Marines. But uh, to, to be a Marine meant that you voluntarily, you know, showed, you, know you, you enlisted in the Marines or you got a commission as an officer in the Marines, and you went through more than, than the average draftee, you know, Army grunt. I'm not denigrating those guys, but Marines were special, and they became experts at amphibious warfare, which is what a Marine is supposed to do, but they were the ones that the Pacific Theater, you know, generally revolved around, at least in the opening stages. And without the Marines, I don't think we, I think it would have turned out differently. Let's put it that way. The book again is Valor, the astonishing World War I saga of one man's defiance and indomitable spirit, published by St. Martin's Press, the author Dan Hampton. Dan Hampton, you have done it again and given the world yet another amazing and riveting book. Thank you so much for that and for joining me today on The Morning Show. My pleasure as always, Greg, anytime. And to finish out this portion of WGTD's morning show, I want to read to you from part one of Dan Hampton's book, Valor. Uh, The first chapter of the first section of the book is titled Determination, and here is just one passage from it. This is on the night of December 7, 1941. As night fell on Washington that Sunday, panic spread throughout California, and Katie Harris, who lived there when Field was assigned to the Naval Air Station San Diego, heard the news from friends there. Despite pledges of loyalty from large numbers of Nisei, the government was unconvinced or felt it could not take chances at such a critical time. Military and police units blocked roads, placed anti-aircraft guns atop buildings, and closed the ports of Monterey and Los Angeles. The FBI rounded up scores of Japanese nationals for questioning and even arrest, including an entire baseball team, the L.A. Nippons, who were playing a Paramount team in Hollywood. A radio appeal was broadcast asking for volunteers to form a civilian defense council, and bands of heavily armed men showed up to fight off the perceived imminence of Japanese invasion. Caught up in the moment, Americans wanted to do something— anything. Fortunately, despite false rumors of enemy submarines spotted off the coast and the imagined threat of paratroopers dropping into Hollywood, saner heads generally prevailed. People were told to go home, unload their weapons, and wait for some real news. That evening, the Harrises, along with millions of their fellow Americans, listened to First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt's well-modulated motherly voice on the radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am speaking to you tonight at a very serious moment in our history. The cabinet is convening and the leaders in Congress are meeting with the president. The State Department and Army and Navy officials have been with the president all afternoon. 
In fact, the Japanese ambassador was talking to the president at the very time that Japan's airships were bombing our citizens in Hawaii and the Philippines and sinking one of our transports loaded with lumber on its way to Hawaii. I should like to say just a word to the women in the country tonight. I have a boy at sea on a destroyer. For all I know, he may be on his way to the Pacific. Two of my children are in coast cities on the Pacific. Many of you all over the country have boys in the services who will now be called upon to go into action. You have friends and families in what has suddenly become a danger zone. You cannot escape anxiety. You cannot escape a clutch of fear at your heart. And yet I hope that the certainty of what we have to meet will make you rise above these fears. We must go about our daily business more determined than ever to do the ordinary things as well as we can. And when we find a way to do anything more in our communities to help others, to build morale, to give a feeling of security, we must do it. Whatever is asked of us, I am sure we can accomplish it. We are the free and unconquerable people of the United States of America. I have faith in you. I feel as though I was standing upon a rock, and that rock is my faith in my fellow citizens. These were brave words, encouraging words, and just what the country needed to hear. A portion of Dan Hampton's book, Valor, the astonishing World War II saga of one man's defiance and indomitable spirit, published by St. Martin's Press.